Good to see you guys. Happy Memorial Day weekend. My name is Derek, and um, we are right in the heart of this smoking hot series. I said it last week. Man, if last week you picked your first time to come to Grace, <laughs> whoo, that was something. Uh, we were it was we're in Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, um, and last week was the wedding night, and I could not believe that those verses actually came out of the Bible. I don't know if any of you were like, "Are you serious?" Um, so this week. We come out of them consummating their marriage on their wedding night, this smoking hot text, and um, we we ended in verse five, uh, chapter five, verse one. Today we're going to pick it up in the next verse, Song of Songs five, two, and um, it's not quite as hot this week, but we are definitely talking all about sex. So if you have young ears with you, just be be forewarned. They are welcome to stay, but just we're we're going to be we're going to be getting right at it. We're going to jump right into uh, to today's message. So if you guys would join me, let's pray. Uh, God, uh, we thank you for your word, even the parts that uh, might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable or we wonder why they're in there. But God, we know that they're in there for a reason, that you have put them there uh, for our good and to, to teach us something about you and about us. And so God, we just pray this morning that you would speak to each one of us. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so we move from the marriage night, like the ultimate event, and now um, they're married, and we we see conflict. We're in Song of Songs, starting in 5, verse 2. It's it's not as bad as Kramer makes it out to be, um, but but there is definitely some conflict that's at work. We're going to jump right in, and we're going to check it out, starting in Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 2. Either uh, take a look in your Bible or on your outline. So it starts out this way. Uh, this, is, this is a poem, and uh, it goes like this. It's, she's the one speaking here, and she says, I slept, but my heart was awake. So what we know right off the get-go is that she's having a dream, okay? So they're married. She's having a dream. And in this dream, here's what happens. It says, listen, my beloved is knocking. And he says to her, he says, Open to me, my sister, my darling, my love, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. So she's, she, she hears this knock, and her husband is there, okay? And we know from this dew that's falling, right, that it's, it's probably late, late in the middle of the night at this point. And so he's knocking on the door, and he is just showering her with compliments. And I know that, John, you talked about last week how when you say that, uh, you know, the sister is like this great, right? It still messes with me. Okay, he's calling her sister. It still, it still doesn't, doesn't fully register for me. But anyway, my darling, my love, my flawless one. So he's pouring it on thick, okay? And then what she, her response in her dream is verse 3. So she goes, yeah, but I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? So what she's saying there is like, yeah, I've already gotten ready for bed. I, I've been, I'm sleeping. I'm all cozied up in my bed. I'm nice and clean. And now he wants to come in. I mean, are you, are you serious? Come on. That, that's like the last thing that she wants to do right now. Verse 4. It really starts to get interesting here. It says, my beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. Okay, now here's what you need to know. This boy is fired up. Okay, he is raring to go, so much so that he is trying to break down the door to his wife's bedchamber. Now, here's where it gets very interesting, especially if you're a guy, you'll probably like this part, because then it says the next thing. So he's, he's beaten down the door, and then it says, 
She goes, my heart began to pound for him. I arose to open for my beloved. And my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. Okay, yes, there's the sexual references you see there. It's, it's, it's there, okay? That's as much as I need to say about that. So now she's kind of been woken up. And before she was like, oh, come on, are you serious? And now she's getting excited herself. And she's coming to the door, and she's fired up. Now some of you husbands are going, see, this is what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter. It's the middle of the night. She's raring to go. This is smoking hot, baby. Okay? So let's check it out. Verse 6. So it says, she says, I opened for my beloved. But my beloved had gone. He had left. So by the time she gets to the door, he's out. Okay? In In this dream. And so instead of this incredible night of passion, it's replaced with deep disappointment. And he probably feels tremendously rejected. And so... He leaves. She says, my heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but didn't find him. I called him, but he didn't answer. And then she goes out into the night. It says, the watchmen found me. The watchmen were the ones who actually would have worked for the king. So this is the king's wife going out. The watchmen were the ones who would be watching out and protecting everybody. It says, the watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my cloak, those watchmen of the walls. So what's going on here? Well, in her dream, she's getting beaten up by these watchmen. And what that represents is her feelings of guilt and shame and the sense of failure that she has, right? Because because it didn't turn out the way she, she wanted it to. And now her husband's all upset and she's all upset. And so what's going on is she's actually beating herself up over what's happened. And the role that she's played in this not going so well. And so, so you're like, okay, so what the heck does, does all this mean? Okay, well, here, here's what's going on here. From this dream that she's having, we see that something is deeply on her mind. So much so that when she goes to bed at night, she's thinking so much about it that it manifests itself in a dream. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that, where you go to bed and you're thinking really hard about something and you end up kind of having a dream about that thing. But that's where she is. Okay, And what she dreams about is the major issue that is a focal point in their relationship. It's this major deal that is actually driving a, a huge wedge in between them and their relationship. They're fighting about sex. That's the issue that's at stake. You see, what's going on is that he wants sex when it works for him. He wants sex on his timetable. Doesn't matter if it's the middle of the night. When he's ready to go, he wants to get it on. And she's like, are you kidding me? That's not working for me. She's not having it. Now, I know that there's no one in this room, none of you married couples out there ever have fights about sex. But um, beyond this church, beyond this room where, you know, it's all happiness and bliss, right? Um, there, sex is a major, major thing that married couples fight about. So what I want to try and do is um, I know that last week with the Boom Boom Box and Barbie, it was, it was uh, so well received. I wanted to bring back Barbie this week. I wanted to try and bring this story up to 21st century Washington, D.C. So, here we go. We have Barbie, and uh, she has actually gone on now, and she's gotten married. And um, she married a guy that looks a whole lot like Metrosexual Mike. She had a thing for Metrosexual Mike, and... Um, Anyway, this isn't actually metrosexual Mike. It's the guy who looks dead on metrosexual Mike. But this is hardworking Harvey. Okay? So Barbie went out, and she married hardworking Harvey. Now, hardworking Harvey, he is a, is a good Christian man. 
He, he is a high-character guy, and, and he is a hard worker. Now, we're in Washington, D.C., so these are both type A, go get them personalities, and they're just in a phase of their life. They're early on in their marriage where they're just like, they got the world by the tail. You know, they are going to try and set this world on fire and just go after it. Okay, so they both are working pretty demanding jobs, but Harvey's job is particularly demanding, and he's had a particularly difficult week. A lot of stress, a lot of strain. And so uh, towards later in the week, it's like a Thursday night, and um, he, he ends up having to work later than he expects, and so he lets Barbie know that. And so Barbie runs out to the store. She gets some things. She gets some stuff for dinner. She cooks dinner, and then he you know, gets delayed, and so she waits for him. She waits for him, and finally, uh, Harvey gets home after a long day's work, and they sit down to dinner. But he's really not in the mood to do the, how was your day? How was your day? How was your day? I don't know. How was your day? He, he wasn't, he's not interested in that, okay? So he's pretty short in, in his conversation, and really he just wants to decompress. So after a quick dinner, he just wants to veg in front of the TV. So he goes and he kind of hits his man cave, and he just watches some shows and just kind of needs to blow off some steam from the day. Well, Barbie, you know, she, she goes around and she's just doing a few things in the house, taking care of a few things before she gets ready to go to bed. And then she lets Harvey know. She says, okay, honey, well, I'm going to go ahead and turn in. I'm tired. It's time to go to bed. And so Harvey takes that as a cue. And so he's like, cool. I get what she's saying there. So then he, he goes up to, to, to bed as well. And so they get ready, and they hop into bed. And then Harvey's idea is that he wants to get into the boom boom box at that point. Now, Barbie looks at Harvey and goes, are you kidding me? Like, that's crazy. You, you really want to get in the boom boom box right now? And she's having none of it, man. Like, she kicks him. She's like, get, get out of here, Harvey. You know, there's no way that you're getting in the boom. We are getting in that boom boom box right now. Okay? There's no way. And they have a major, big blowout fight. Both sides feel hurt, feel angry, feel, thank you, feel, uh, feel rejected, feel disappointed. And that is how they spend their night. Now, from his perspective, a little boom boom is like the perfect end to a really difficult day. He hasn't, you know, he's been under a lot of strain. He hasn't particularly felt close to his wife. And so this would just be kind of a great way that they could reconnect and just just to redeem an otherwise very difficult day at the office. It's a way that his wife could kind of help him a little bit and show some support. Now, from her perspective, and he hasn't been exactly the best company. I mean, basically, since he's gotten home, he's really wanted nothing to do with her. He's been very short. He hasn't been talkative. Okay, he hasn't debriefed, how was your day? He hasn't done any of that stuff. He hasn't really done anything to, to put her in the mood. So, in this scenario, who's right and who's wrong? Many of us, that's kind of the question that, that forms in our mind, okay? So who's justified here? Who's the cause of the argument, okay? What I want to try and unpack for you is that that's actually the, the wrong question to be asking. But let's just go along with it for a second. So who's right and, and who's wrong? Well, hard, hard work and Harvey, he could, he could point to a verse like 1 Corinthians 7, 4 to 5, which I know some of you husbands have probably memorized. You haven't memorized a single verse in the Bible, but you've memorized this because it says... The wife does not have authority over her own body, but she yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Husbands are fine with that. Do not deprive each other, 
And they're talk- the Bible is clearly, explicitly talking about sex. Okay, there's nowhere on this. This is exactly the issue that the Bible is talking about. Do not deprive each other of sex, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. So, man, Harvey could just be laying on the scripture to his wife and saying, see, this is my point. Now, she could turn around and she could say, look, she could point to, 1 Corinthians 13, 5, which is not on your outline, but it says love does not demand its own way. And then she could use a verse like Philippians 2, 3, and 4, which says do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And if this applies to how, as Christians, we're supposed to treat random people and friends and whoever, then how much more does this apply to our wives, Harvey? Okay? So the point is, they would each have a legitimate point in the argument. So you see, asking the question, who's right and who's wrong, is problematic. And that's one of the, that's one of the big issues we get into, is trying to figure out and play the blame game in our relationships. Now, I've been doing a lot of reading this week, a lot of studying, and I want to give you something that is, is it's more like scientific and psychological data that comes from a lot of different studies and surveys. Okay, and I, I'd like for you to write this in because this, this was eye-opening for me, and I'm sure it's going to be eye-opening for many of you, okay? So, listen, for most husbands, sex is what helps him feel close to his wife, it's kind of bizarre. I know a lot of you ladies probably have no kind of idea that that, that that works that way. But the deal is that like after sex, he's much more willing to actually have a conversation, to talk, to be vulnerable, to do the how is your day thing. He's much more likely to want to go out and serve and help and do all those things. Okay? So that's, that's how he's wired. Now, this isn't every guy, okay? But what studies find is, is about 80% of men are wired this way. Okay? So, you know... There's some, some of you guys that are wired, you know, not this way, but, but by and large, most guys are wired this way. Now, let's look at the wives for a second. Most wives need to feel close before they're ready for sex. Some of you guys are like, what? Yeah, that's, that's, that's the crux of the issue right there. Most wives need to feel close. If they don't feel a sense of closeness, if they don't feel a sense of togetherness, there's no way they're jumping in the boom boom box. So... You can see how this is a major problem in marriages, right? Because those are kind of juxtaposed against one another. So the deal is, you need to understand how to use this information that we just looked at right here, okay? Because if in your mind what you've done is you've already memorized your part, husbands, like if you're already going, yeah, that's right, that's about me, I'm going to memorize that. No, no, no. Wives, if you've already kind of memorized your part, then you've totally missed the point of this exercise, okay? The point of this exercise is not to turn later to your spouse and say, see, this is how I'm wired. Don't you get it? No, no, no. You've totally, totally missed it. The goal here is to understand how your spouse works, how they're wired, and then what you can do to be a better husband or a better wife. Now, I want to come back to Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, because those verses are awesome, okay? And... As I said before, this idea of putting others before yourself, okay, if that's supposed to be the general rule in all relationships, how much more does it apply in your marriage to your spouse, the person who is the most important person in your life? It's even more 
important. So what I've done is I've taken the liberty of paraphrasing this, putting Philippians 2, 3, and 4 in the, within the context of marriage. And this is how it would read if you're reading it, thinking about how does this verse apply to me as a married person? Here's, here's what this verse would say, something like this. Okay, you're not going to find this in the Bible. This is my paraphrase. But it's pretty, pretty close to on point if you compare it to the NIV translation. So in your marriage, don't let selfishness rule. Rather, in humility, think of your spouse as more important than yourself. Think about what your spouse desires. And this is the part I want you to fill in. Think about what your spouse desires and how you can please him or her. That's the goal. It's thinking about your spouse and what, what do they need? What, what do they desire? What's going to make them happy? What's going to please them? It's, in this scenario, it's not about trying to figure out which of these two are wrong and which is right and who's justified and how does that work. No, no, no. The, the whole idea here is that you're just to serve your spouse. And so, you know, you're just trying to understand, okay, what, is your, what are your spouse's needs and how do I put them ahead of my needs? Now, this doesn't just apply to sex, okay? This is, this is a universal rule for whatever problems and issues and conflicts you're facing in your marriage. Now, this whole idea of, of thinking first about your spouse and putting their needs and their desires first ahead of your own, that whole thing, that's actually something that if you're married, you've, you've done before, and you've done it actually quite well. It was when you were dating. You did it all the time. It's called courtship. When you were courting your future spouse, you were constantly, you were actually obsessively thinking about the other person. Okay? You were constantly thinking about their needs, their desires, what's going to get them excited, what's going to make them happy. You're, you're just, that's all you're focused on. You're consumed by that when you're in that courtship, when you're pursuing the other person in a relationship. It just, it flows out of, you can't help but think that way. Now, married guys, I want you to think back to that phase, okay, because you did crazy stuff back then, crazy stuff. You wrote poems and you're not a poet okay you you typed emails that were like mini novels you texted like 40 50 times a day back and forth that how was your day how was your day how, you just go you're just constantly doing the how was your day back and forth you could not get enough of it you had all sorts of spontaneous romantic date ideas and all these creative like crafty things you did things with your hand like put things together and and made her presents and gifts i mean it was it was amazing the stuff that that you were doing right now wives when you think back to that phase one of the things that you probably did for your guy was you just showered him with affirmation. He could do no wrong, virtually no wrong. And if he did something wrong, you had a very delicate way, a very respectful way of, of letting him know that or actually pointing to a different guy and saying, I know that you would never do that kind of thing, right? I mean, you were so delicate and so careful to, to, to hold up his ego, that fragile male ego, right? And to make sure that you didn't do anything to deflate that. You talked about how great he was, and you always made him feel like he was the number one guy in your life. He was number one priority for you. I remember um, when Becky and I were dating, my wife, uh, my wife and I, we were married 10 years next month, and um, I think back, one of the things that I absolutely detest in life is, is shopping, 
Okay, I like food, so I, uh, food shopping gets a pass, but all their kinds of shopping, like, I can't stand it. I literally walk into a mall. Mall's the worst because it's, like, super concentrated shopping, you know? So walk into a mall, and, like, literally, it's like, it's like the oxygen has been sucked out. It's like I'm on a different planet, and there's no oxygen in the place. And I'm like, I, like, walk through the threshold, and I'm, I'm done. Man, when Becky and I were first dating, I would walk in the mall, and I was, like, skipping with her. I was just so excited. Clothes shopping, worst kind ever, right? I'm just like, sure, we'll go women's clothes shopping. That sounds awesome. You know, it didn't matter, okay? I mean, I was so about what does she want? What does she like, right? What would, what would get her fired up? I'm all about that. We, we did a long-distance relationship for a while when she was in D.C. and I was in Cincinnati. We would talk on the phone for hours and hours and hours. Do I like talking on the phone? No. But I knew that that was a big deal for her. Now, for Becky, um, she knew that camping was something that I really liked to do. And so, man, I thought I was marrying a girl who just loved to camp. You know what I'm saying? We would do these camping trips, and she was so into it. Yeah. We'd go out, and like, I'd be like, hey, you want to throw the football together? She'd be like, sure. Most women, I mean, if you like to throw the football on your woman, God bless you. Okay, really, you're awesome. You're special, okay? Most women don't like to do that. If you go to, like, you, like, go to a random park or something, like Quincy Park right around here or some other park, and you see, like, a couple, and they're throwing a football together, okay, they're not married. <laughs> Pretty much. Ex- right? Speak the truth. Okay. I've said enough about that. But here, here's, here's the point, okay? In marriage, it's actually still the same goal as when we were courting, okay? It's the same deal. Your primary number one goal is to think, what is it, what, what does my spouse desire? What are, what are my spouse's needs? And how can I please him or her? That is the ultimate goal. So, this is, this is the big fill-in. This is the, the, the big application point that married couples, I want you to get today. If you want to smoke in hot marriage, never stop courting your spouse. Never stop courting your spouse. Okay? And again, when I say courting, what I'm talking about when I say courting, it, it can mean a gazillion different things. But the primary thing is that no matter what you're doing, you are thinking first and foremost about what does my spouse desire? What, is my, what are my spouse's needs? And how can I please my spouse? Okay? If you never, you, you never stop doing that if you want to smoke in hot marriage. Okay? Now, I got to step aside and say, I am on the verge of total hypocrisy up here at this point. Okay? I have given you some, some truths. Um, about men and women that like, were just eye-opening to me that I just literally read like, several days ago. And, um, and this whole idea of constantly courting, okay, like beyond when you put the ring on the finger, it, that, that is actually something that I really struggle with. And I think most people who are married and have been married for a while really struggle with. Because you see, here's the thing. In the beginning, you just have all these feelings. You, you, you can't help yourself. You, you're, just, you're in that phase where you're like obsessed with the other person, and you're always wondering how they're feeling and how they're doing, and, and you can't help but court them. You can't help but think about them first. But somewhere for me, like when I got the ring on her finger and we said I do, I felt like she like moved over to my team. 
where like now we're teammates, you know, like now we're kind of going together this way. And like, I don't really have to serve you anymore because we're doing this together. And, you know, I feel like, man, I serve a lot. Just I try and live a life of service. So like when I get home from doing all that service, like, do I really have to serve my spouse? You know, like, and, and so it's a, it's a really difficult thing for me if I'm going to be honest, because a lot of times I just don't have that feeling. I don't have that natural desire to want to serve her. So I'm going to be really, real honest with you guys, okay? Um, my wife is back in the Graceland kids area right now, okay? So she would actually validate this. I have to say this because if she were here, she's going to listen later online. Um, she's going she's to make sure that I said this. You know, a lot of times when I walk in the door, I'm actually looking to get served. Like, I'd be like, I've been serving all day, and I'm actually looking to get served by her. And there's, there's a, a part of me deep down inside that that's actually my mental thing that's going on, is I'm thinking, oh, cool, I'm ready to be served by my wife. That would be a really nice thing. And that's actually not what the Bible says. It's not. When I was single, um, one of the things that I didn't fully understand about marriage, and my, my parents had a, had a really good marriage, and so I, I had this really positive understanding of marriage. Um, but one of the things that I didn't understand was, like, the, the work that's associated with marriage. Like, that it's re- it really is hard work. It's awesome. It's amazing, right? When it's going right, it's, it's, it's an incredible thing. But it's actually a lot of work to get it right. And this is one of the things I wish I would have just had a little bit more of an appreciation for, going in, because I think it would have kind of greased the skids for me a little bit um, going into my marriage. It kind of, I think about marriage this way. Um, when I was a kid, we, we lived in Cincinnati, and it was like a four-hour drive to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park in uh, Tennessee. Anybody been Smoky Mountain? Okay, beautiful. It's gorgeous out there. So uh, Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge, um, and so there was this hike in the Smoky Mountains, called Chimney Tops. Has anybody hiked Chimney Tops? Raise your hand proud if you have hiked Chimney Tops. Okay, so we got, we got a couple people that have hiked Chimney Tops. It's not a super long hike. It's just a few miles, but it's, it's a pretty steep hike. It's a pretty strenuous hike. Well, that was like the go-to hike for us because one of the, the things in our family, how we would evaluate a, hi- a good hike was like at the view at the end. It had to have some reason to get to the end. If it doesn't have something at the end, then it's, it's kind of a little bit anticlimactic. So we would do this hike up to the top of Chimney Tops, okay? And when you got to the top of Chimney Tops, you better believe if it was the summertime that you were sweating, you might have even stumbled a few times, you had had to kind of scramble over some rocks and some boulders. It was a hard hike, okay? But the reason you did the hike was for the view at the end, Chimney Tops. These massive rock faces that would kind of shoot up and you could see this panoramic view of the Smoky Mountains. It was really, really cool. Here's the thing that was interesting. There were actually, if you've been to the Smoky Mountains, you know this, there are a lot of tremendous views in the Smoky Mountains. You can just, just by car, they have tons of scenic overlooks where you'll go and you'll see these spectacular views, okay? In retrospect, the view from chimney tops isn't really that much more spectacular than the view you could see out of your car window, okay? But here's the deal. It's just not the same feeling when you're looking out your car window at that view, when you haven't had to work for it, when you haven't really had to do anything, when you haven't sweat at all, 
right? But when, you're, when you are at the top of that hike, the top of chimney tops, and your muscles are sore, and you're sweating, and, um, and you just kind of sit down, and you have that like, oh, thank God, I finally made it. There's just the sense as you're looking out at that view that it just, it's that much sweeter. It's that much more fulfilling and rewarding, and you just kind of, you just drink it in. You know what I'm saying? It, it's, it's, it's an awesome feeling. That's really a lot of how I would describe marriage. Marriage is this incredible thing, okay? But it requires hard work. But the crazy paradoxical irony in it for me is that when we put the work in, when we're really doing what we're supposed to be doing in the marriage, okay, when we're continuing to court our spouse and we're continuing to put them first and we see them light up and it's this mutual thing where we're not kind of all demanding our own way against each other, but we're really trying to meet each other's needs and we feel filled up by the other person that they're looking out for us. It's just sweet. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. But, but don't be deceived, okay? And if you're here today and, and, and you're not married, you know, I, I just want to tell you, you know, yeah, marriage is an amazing thing. It is awesome. But do not be deceived. It's, it's work. It's great work. It's meaningful work. But it is work. There's a dying to self that takes place in every single marriage. And we cannot lose sight of that. All right, I want to shift gears. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Love covers a multitude of sins. A multitude of sins. In that spirit, I want to tell you that courtship covers a multitude of conflicts. Courtship will cover a multitude of conflicts. When you're thinking about how you can please your spouse, when you're thinking about their needs ahead of yours, um, this can overcome a ton of negative stuff, a ton of little petty arguments, just a ton of things that are just kind of like just picking away at your, at your marriage. There's actually a study, and John has mentioned this guy before. His name is John Gottman. And this guy is absolutely the guru on marriage because you see what he did was he kind of got a little psychotic uh, he started counseling all these couples, and then he would, like, hook up, like, electrodes on them and, like, videotape them from different angles. And he would, like, literally study, like, every possible thing. It would, like, he would psychoanalyze every argument, every word, nonverbal. I mean, this, this guy was, he was, he was nuts, okay? But, but after a while, he came up with some unbelievable data on all kinds of things in marriage. And one of the things that he came up with, um, and we've hinted at this before, we talked about this before, is that strengthening marriages is not about eliminating conflict. It's not about eliminating conflict. For me, uh, one, of, one of my things, like going in, I'm a non-confrontational person, and so my, my kind of just belief in myself was, well, if I just minimize conflict, marriage is going to be good. Like, and, it, and a perfect marriage is where there's no conflict. That was, that was my basic understanding. Well, Gottman comes along, and he actually says that, if you don't have any conflict in your marriage, your marriage is not going to work. He said it will not, it will fail. Because what conflict actually does is it, 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 ha, it has a tremendous purpose. It brings out the things that you're struggling with, the things that are frustrating you, the things that actually need to be changed in your relationship. And conflict brings those out. If you don't have that conflict, you're just going to fester and it's going to be buried inside of you. And then you're going to find a different way to kind of release those things. You're, gonna, you're just going to walk away. You're going to do whatever. Okay? And so... It's vital that you have conflict in your marriage. 
Um, so the deal is, what Gottman says, is it's not about trying to reduce conflict, necessarily. It's trying to find a healthy way to resolve it. But then one of the biggest things that you can do is actually make sure that you have more positive experiences in your marriage than negative experiences. So he, he says that there are couples that just fight all the time, okay? Like, just you, you can just be at each other's throats and have these knockout, drag-down arguments, and it, man, it's, just, it's just crazy. He says that there are tons of couples, and that's actually how they fight, and then afterwards, they just, they, the fireworks go off, they, have this, they, they kiss and they make up, I mean, they just go at it. And, and they, then, then they go out and they do all this fun stuff. And th- that's just the relationship. It's this passionate relationship. And so he says, that's, that's great. You can do that. The key is, what do you do, at, you know, what do you do after the conflict's over? Are you looking to create positive experiences? So the question that I have for you today, married couples, is are you still courting your spouse? Are you still courting your spouse? Because from the Bible's perspective, that's what you're called to do. A a lifelong courtship in marriage, that is the key to a smoking hot marriage. Now, you may be here this morning, and and your marriage is in real trouble. And um, you know it's it's bad, you know what the issues are, and, um, and you're wondering, how can this be repaired? And you're in a world of hurt. Well, what I want to say to you is that in this dream, she's in a world of hurt. And what's really cool about the dream is that where it goes from there, okay, so she's out looking and and she's getting beat up by these watchmen, so she's just racked with all these feelings of guilt and shame and failure. And, I mean, there's hurt on both sides of this thing, okay? But where the dream actually ends is she turns her gaze, her focus, back to what she loves about him, what is positive about him. And verses 10 through 16, she just goes into these slew of different references about what is, what is awesome about him. And there, there's so much power in this, okay? If, you know, there are some of our marriages in this room that, you know, if there's, if there's even a hint of way that they can be repaired, one of the, the keys to this is getting back to focusing on what's positive. Philippians 4.8 says it this way. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, do you catch that word? If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, there may be some of us in this room, and you've got to rack your brain for a long time to think about anything that's excellent. You can think of a million things that drive you crazy about the other person, and, and deep hurts and deep problems. But if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, whatever is good, if you can focus on that thing, because here's the thing, here, here's, here's the reality. When you're in marriage, a lot of times this courtship thing, Whereas when you were dating and you just, it was just flowing out of you, you couldn't help yourself. You were just naturally wanting to serve the other person and court the other person and put them first. In a marriage, when you've had conflict and you've had things that have come against you in your marriage, you, all this hurt and everything, there's no feeling there. There's no feelings of love. There's no feelings of wanting to serve. You're like, are you kidding me? They don't deserve that for a second. Why in the world would I possibly want to court them in this moment? Okay, you, if you're going to get to a place where you're actually going to start to 
to see some progress and to turn things around and try and balance out all this negative with positive stuff, you have got to focus on what is good. Find that one thing, if there's only one thing, and just focus your mind on it and, and then find a way to court your spouse. Now, this doesn't just mean doing something for them, like, like for me. I'm like, oh, God, so does this mean like I have to go and go shopping, like go into the shopping mall with my wife? doesn't necessarily mean that you've got to totally torture yourself, okay? Um, I mean, one of the things about courting, be creative. Be, there's tons of things you guys like to do together. There's tons of stuff you used to do together. Find those shared activities, stuff that she's definitely into, but create positive things that you can do together. When you can do that, you'll be surprised. This is Gottman's whole point, is that it's actually not so much about trying to squash out every little negative thing and every problem. You're going to have problems in your marriage, okay? But how many more positive things could you put in that will actually balance that out? Because the marriages that work are, are just full of positive experiences that happen that outweigh all the other stuff, and you just don't really care anymore about some of that negative stuff. So, um, focus on the positive. Here's the, here's the, the last thing that I want to say to you if you are, are really hurting and your, your marriage is in a difficult spot. You don't have to do this alone. You're not alone. I think a lot of times we lose sight of that. And that's one of the things that coming here on Sundays reminds us of, is that we have God to help us no matter what we're facing in our lives. Jesus speaks in John 14, 16 to 17. He says, uh, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. See, if you're here, and you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, your faith in Jesus Christ is so much more than like a free ticket to heaven. Or, yeah, I'm good. I know that, you know, one day I'll be in heaven because I believe in Jesus. It's so much more than that, you guys. For me, what is, I mean, just a lot more significant, quite frankly, for me in this life, is realizing that when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, Christ sends the Holy Spirit to be with me to help me, to empower me to do the things that I don't want to do. I don't know if it can empower me to get inside the shopping mall. I don't know if the Holy Spirit is that strong. But it can empower me, okay, to do all sorts of things that I might otherwise not want to do. And so if you were here this morning and you, you know, have been wondering about that and thinking about that, um, you know, this whole, you know, Jesus and, and, and should I accept him and, and that whole deal, I am telling you, if, if you're doing this thing and you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, um, you're, you're, you're going up chimney tops. You're going up a, a really difficult hike, and, and you don't have to do it alone. You have someone who can help you and who can get you through it. So the deal is, okay, we never stop. Marriage is awesome, but it is hard work. Don't, don't feel like you put the ring on the finger, and, and now you're hitched, and it's like you can just sit down and, and woo, we're good now. We're good. It's, 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 it's nonstop. It's, it's a constant courting process. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, we just want to say thank you for uh, your word and um, for this passage and how it speaks to us, God. Um, I just want to pray for every single uh, marriage in this room. I pray, God, that um, you would help every husband and every wife to, um, to, 
resist the urge to put ourselves first and to think about who's right and who's wrong, but we would actually turn and think about how we can put our spouse first and how we can um, think about their needs and their desires and doing something for them, God. Um, I pray, Lord, um, for, for everyone who's here and um, is single and or maybe is in the process, you know, dating, engaged, whatever, leading up to marriage. God, I just pray that you would uh, bring divine wisdom because there is so much actually just in the mental preparation um, and thinking about expectations and even thinking about how we view conflict and, and how our parents, you know, handled their marriage and stuff that, that will play into our future relationships, God. And I just pr- pray that you would be preparing everyone, their heart and their mind, um, for what lies ahead. And God, we pray for marriages that are really on the rocks, that are just in need of a supernatural boost from you. And uh, God, we just pray that, um, that you would, would inspire some positive things, God, that you would help uh, couples to, to kind of throw down the bitterness and the anger and put that to the side and, and just look to see how they can serve and see how, what that might do, what you might do uh, through those acts of service. Uh, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.